Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Omniverse Podcast. This week we have uh, an older story of mine. It's called Old Friends, and it's read by J.G. Langjeans. Before we get to the story this week, just wanted to let you know a few things that are going on these days. Definitely still doing the 52 Weeks of Indie, so I strongly urge you to check that out. Uh, I just had a great interview for the Bookworm Banquet podcast. I'll definitely be putting that in the show notes. Um, the, re- the interview and the review of Jeannie Bear should be going live before you guys hear this, so go ahead on over there and check it out. Uh, also, I uh, would uh, love a review of any of these stories that you listen to via the podcast. It's always a help to have reviews go up. Uh, particularly, love would love a review for Fetch or Ginny Dare. Those are the ones getting the best review numbers these days. So, without further ado, I will give you to the capable hands of J.G. Langjeans. Uh, he is a contributor to the New Fiction Writers uh, site and podcast, so go ahead and over there and check that out, and hopefully we'll be hearing more from him in the future. So here he is with Old Friends. Old Friends by Scott Roach Published by Scott Roach at Smashwords Copyright 2010, Scott Roach Read for podcast by J.G. Langjans. Dimitri checked his reflection in the mirror and chuckled at the old wives' tales. He ran his slim pianist fingers through his slick blonde hair and winked at his own wry smile. A vibration originating from his wrist alerted him to the fact that Piotr was late. They met like this four times a year and had a gentleman's agreement that if the other hadn't arrived by the appointed hour, then the meet was cancelled. The last of his Glenfiddich slid down easily, and he paid the tab, tipping very well. He looked in the mirror again and checked to make sure that not a piece of his finely tailored black suit was out of place. Satisfied, he snugged his black leather gloves in place, more for their fashion appeal than to protect his nimble hands from the bitter weather in the Netherlands at this time of year. It didn't even occur to him to worry about his friend. If anyone could take care of himself, it was the big Russian. He stepped out onto the brightly lit street and hailed a cab. A car pulled up and he slid gracefully into the back seat. Take me to the Crown Plaza, please. His Dutch was as flawless as his teeth. The driver attempted to pass the time, in the time-honored cabby tradition. Did you hear about the big dogs they caught trying to break into the Regic Museum two nights ago? Dimitri's eyes narrowed a bit. Big dog? No, I didn't. Tell me. He didn't like coincidences. But sentries had proven to him time and again that they happened with greater frequency than they had any right to. Yeah, they caught this big black dog that must have gotten closed up in the museum somehow. It bit three guards, and one of them is in intensive care. Almost took off his arm. The cabbie shook his head. Crazy world. Yes, indeed. Tell me, what did they do with this dog? He leaned forward a bit until his nose almost touched the glass panel separating the two. I think they are going to put him down. He is being held at the zoo right now. The papers say they're keeping him knocked out until they make sure he is in someone's pit. An animal like that, they should kill it. Too dangerous. But hey, maybe some rich guys die. They don't want to piss off the wrong patron. He chuckled knowingly. That would be bad indeed. 
The cab pulled up in front of its destination. The driver slid the partition back and held out his hand. Dimitri handed him several bills. Keep the change. The driver's eyes got big. Hey, man, you ever need the personal driver? I can show you all kinds of things in this city. Things that aren't on any of the guides. Greed oozed from his pores. Blue eyes blazed from the back seat. You never saw me. The cabbie's eyes glazed over. I was going to pocket this under the table anyway, he said in a robotic monotone. Dimitri grimaced and reached through the glass, retrieving his money. I was never in your cab. He pushed a little harder with his mind. Satisfied that this ride never happened, as far as the driver was concerned, he stepped out of the cab and walked towards the alley beside the high-end hotel that he had been staying in. Turning his mind back to his lost friend, Dimitri had no doubt what had happened. Pyotr still had a taste for expensive paintings. I told him that would be the end of him one day. It looked like it nearly was. He glanced up at the bloated moon and concentrated. No transformation occurred, but his feet left the ground. He sailed down the alley faster and quieter than they could carry him. Minutes later, he stood outside the bars of the zoo. With a glance around, he saw that the cold and the late hour had driven most of the people to the warmth of the city's many bars. Satisfied that no one would see him, he flew quickly over the barrier. The trails that ran through the property were like mazes. He had no idea where to begin. The rich scents of this place's many denizens intermingled, fighting one another for dominance. He tried to pick out one scent in particular, but at first he was thwarted. After a few minutes of silent wandering, buried in all the sensory noise, he caught the distinct odor of unwashed werewolf. He made his way through the winding trails of the large park like a spirit. He passed the large primate house. He heard the shrieks of fear as the ape sensed a fearsome predator nearby. These howlings brought unwanted attention from the otherwise complacent guards. Footsteps pounded and lights flashed as two men on patrol broke into a run, rather than fly, which could become tiring if done to excess. He slid up to a kiosk and stood in the lee until the poorly ex-cops wheezed by. The scent of their sweat and the blood racing through their veins piqued his hunger, but he preferred prey smelled of jasmine and roses, not beer and bratwurst. Besides, there was no time for eating. Satisfied that they were gone, he continued on foot towards the area where Piotr's scent came from. After a few more moments of silent jogging through the cold night, he reached his destination. It was some sort of administration center by the look of it. There were no windows save for the few on the front face of it. The only entrance was through a single-pane glass door. The biggest problem was the fact that the lights were on, and it looked like someone was indeed home. This would not be a simple smash and grab. You owe me, my friend. The door was locked, naturally, but one did not live as long as he had and had not picked up a few non-traditional skills. It opened under his silent ministrations after just a few seconds. He glided through the doorway and into the warmth of a lobby. Everything was done in soft caramels and tans, including prints of the savannah that adorned the walls. A door marked employees only to the right of the sliding glass partition was the only way out of this room, other than the door he had just come through. His ears told him that no one waited directly on the other side, so he pushed into the hall beyond. At the end of the hallway, light spilled from an open door onto the gray tile. A single female voice drifted to him, recounting medical statistics and procedures. He trod softly to the edge of the open door and peered around the doorframe and into what he saw was a lab of some sort. A woman sat with her back to the door, her voice completing the recitation. 
Piotr lay on a nearby table, hooked to a myriad of tubes and wires. Something being fed to him through those tubes was no doubt keeping him dormant. It angered Dmitri slightly to see his friend in such a state. In days gone by he would have ripped this lab to shreds in outrage. But in his current state of maturity he saw that they were merely doing what they thought was right by what they falsely believed to be a helpless animal. He stepped into the lab and caught the scent of the lovely technician wafting on the over-air-conditioned air. She turned in her seat, no doubt to check on her patient, her eyes widening as Dimitri came into view, lips parted as if to speak, but his azure eyes flared, quieting her. Be still, my child. The vision in the white lab coat shook her head violently, chestnut ringlets dancing with the motion, her own eyes filled with an all-too-natural fire of their own. Child, excuse me, but who are you, and what the hell are you doing in my lab? Her accent was decidedly American, though she spoke Dutch well enough. He could feel her powerful will radiating outward. Simple hypnosis, even amplified by his supernatural powers, would not easily work on her. He answered in English, I meant no disrespect, miss. I merely meant to try and put you at ease. My name is Dmitri Nabakov, and the beast here on your table is mine. Recognition softened the anger, turning it to a look of annoyance. Nabokov, the pianist? He had been wearing the mantle of the concert pianist for a little over two decades now. This served as a reminder that it may be time to retire that identity. Being too famous for too long brought up some uncomfortable questions. Dimitri bowed slightly, bringing one hand to his chest. The same. Her right hand traveled towards the phone and the red button marked security. So, Mr. Nabokov, what brings you out this late? Couldn't you have simply just come earlier in the day? After all, the zoo is closed. He shrugged nonchalantly. I came here right after a concert and checked in at the gate. You may feel free to call your security people and check. They let me in after all. He pushed with his mind. A subtle touch was needed here. Short nails buffed to a mirror shine stopped centimeters from the phone. Ah, I see. So why did it take you so long to come and claim your pet? The last word carried a tone of disapproval. Dimitri's jaw said firmly, Look, miss. He cocked his left eyebrow. Doctor. The annoyance began to show in her voice. Middleman. I'm sorry, Dr. Middleman, but I am not used to being interrogated. I just want to pick up my friend and take my leave. Her face softened a bit and her hand moved away from the phone, coming to rest near her recording equipment. My apologies, Mr. Nabokov. Dmitri, please. He bowed again and moved closer to the chair where she sat. This was his sort of game. She wore no perfume. The smell of clean skin and the nectar that pulsed underneath it intensified his hunger. At this range he could make it out even over the noisome odor of medicine. Control wasn't terribly difficult for one as old as he. Still, it wasn't effortless. I'm sorry, Dimitri. I know how hard it is when a loved one goes missing. And you may call me Tanya. Thank you, Tanya. My little friend here accompanied me to the museum the night he got lost. He is very well trained, and my celebrity status allows me a few, uh, quirks. He was now within arm's reach of her. The staff let him wander the grounds. I have no idea why he wasn't found earlier. Well, the important thing is that he has been found now, and he is in good health. He is, isn't he? She stood and moved closer to the table, turning her back on Dimitri. Perfect health. You take good care of him. I've been trying to place a species of wolf. He's quite large. What do you know about him? 
Dimitri again shrugged and moved to stand beside her at the examination table. I know little about such things. I saw him and decided that I wanted him. He reached out and took her hand from where it rested. Another thing my celebrity allows is for me to take what I want in most cases. His eyes began to glow again, but with less intensity. He turned in place, and at his movement she turned to face him. He brought the captive hand to his pale lips, brushing it gently on its back. Her breath caught in her throat, stopping any objection in its tracks. Her hand turned in his, and he repeated the kiss on her wrist, letting his front teeth graze the tender flesh there. Pheromones filled the air, pouring from her skin. Pyotr whimpered in his sleep, breaking the spell. Tiana took her hand back, straightening her coat unnecessarily and clearing her throat. Yes, well, Mr. Nabokov, let me get him ready. She began to disconnect the tubes and wires from the beast. Once the task was complete, she looked back up at Dimitri. Shall I call security and have them help you out with him? Her tone and the temperature in the room had both seemed to cool by a handful of degrees. That will be unnecessary. He should be awake and hale in a few moments. He has always had a strong constitution. He moved around the table and closed in on the pretty vet. Before I take him with me, there is one thing I must do. I have wanted to do it ever since I first saw your lovely neck. He gently took her shoulders and brought his face to her butter-soft skin. She struggled against him, but he was far too strong, inhaling her aroma deeply. He bestowed the lightest of kisses on her pulsing coronid. Satisfied with the mixture of fear and desire he saw on her face as he pulled back, he produced a card from one of his pockets and handed it to her. Please call me, and perhaps next time when I am in town we can have dinner. He clapped his hands and barked at the wolf in Russian. Pyotr scrambled to his feet, nails clicking against the metal surface. He hopped off the table, nearly slipping as he did. Easy, large one. We wouldn't want to have to leave you in the good doctor's care overnight. He tipped a wink at her. Tiana's face, more crimson than it had been when Dimitri first walked in, began to return to its normal color. I don't make it a habit to dine with strange men, Mr. Nabokov, but in your case I might be willing to make an exception. Only on one condition, though. Bring your hairy companion with you. Pyotr barked loudly, a smile in his eyes. Dimitri scrubbed him between the ears. Quiet, you. He turned to Tiana. I think that could be arranged. Now, if you will excuse us... They exited the lab and then the building. Dimitri was happy to be back in the cool night air. You certainly took your fucking time in there, growled Pryotr. His words were difficult to understand thanks to his mouth's still very distinctive canine shape. Many years of hearing them made it easy for Dimitri to understand. He bowed as they walked. My apologies. I could never resist a pretty girl. You always have been a show-off. That will get you staked one day. So, you were awake the whole time? Maybe you should have saved yourself. Pyotr chuffed. Yes, but those damn drugs kept me down. There was no explicit word of thanks there, but they were past the need of that. They neared the perimeter of the zoo. How ridiculous was that neck-kissing anyway? You sure couldn't find a way to work in some line about not drinking wine? The two laughed together as they crossed the fence, Dmitri hovering and Pyotr taking it in one spring. The echo joy followed them into the night. This has been the reading of Old Friends, written by Scott Roach. Read for podcast by J.G. Langjans. The U.S. government created Division 10 to track down mysterious flyers possessing technology beyond our own. 
Now, a corporation, Typhon System-wide, plans to steal alien tech from the grasp of the division, and they're willing to take down a president to do it. As Typhon's plans come to a head, something escapes from a burning building in New York City. Corporate mercenaries are on the way, and so are the black helicopters of Division 10, but there's another player in this game, and far higher stakes than control of a government or technology. The Flyers are back. Subversion, a science fiction adventure novel by John Miro. Conspiracies, spies, and aliens. In enemy lines, the lines aren't as clear as you think. Buy it now on Kindle. Learn more at servingworlds.com.